welcome to episode 50 of the UC Architects, the world's most popular exchange Office 365 and Link podcast. Today's episode was recorded Sunday, March 15th, 2015, and I'm your host, Link MVP, Pat Richard. On today's show, as always, we'll be talking about the latest developments in the Microsoft UC world. Before we begin, here's a bit of information about our wonderful sponsor, who makes it a little easier for us to bring you this podcast. This episode is sponsored by Event Zero. The Dossier Link product family is an integrated suite of functionality designed specifically to enable organization-wide analytics for Microsoft Link environments. Create actionable intelligence for the organization about Link environment and its utilization. Check them out at eventzero.com. And today I'm joined by uh, just two co-hosts. It only takes three of us to bring you this uh, great uh, bucket of uh, greatness here. John Cook and uh, Stolly Hansen. So welcome, guys. Hello. And Hello. <laughs> yeah, number 50. Uh, you know, we, get, we slowed down on, uh, in bringing them out for a while, but, uh, you know, it's great to see that we've made it to this mark. So Yeah, it's cool. All right. Uh, yeah, first up in the Exchange topics, uh, network ports for clients and mail flow in Exchange 23, uh, 2013. rather. So um, I saw this. It's a, a TechNet post. Uh, the Exchange product group came out with uh, a very detailed list, including diagrams and tables, of uh, all the ports uh, for all your mail flow in and around uh, Exchange. So, uh, uh, John, what do you think is uh, of this being our Exchange guy today? <laughs> yeah, it's cool. Um, it came out on the sixth. Um, it's a really you know good in depth uh, um, breakdown of all the kind you know uh, in a lot of ways it kind of reminds me of a link you know like kind of uh, a SIP uh, you know a ladder diagram for you know which port and you know which traffic and things are going in which direction from different components of Exchange. Uh, very very uh, good stuff. Also updated with cool new Visio. Yeah, I got stencils. <laughs> yeah, you know, so I, I like I, I like how they break it down. You know, uh, ports required for clients and services, ports required for mail flow, without edge, with edge, hybrid, UM. You know, it's they they break it down in every section, um, and uh, I think it's real informative. I mean, being a, a former exchange guy, uh, uh, this is great information. I think it'll help clarify what's uh, what's happening in your environment. Yeah, I mean, some of the ones you forget about too is you know like 587 TCP for SMTP. I mean, stuff like that. You you know, I, a lot of times I forget those. You know, um, so it's good to kind of reinforce that stuff as well. Right, right. Yeah, very good. So that'll be a download. Uh, we'll get the link on the summary page. Um, iOS 8.2. So as as little as we talk about Apple. <clears throat> <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, iOS 8.2 is out. It does have some critical updates that we need to pay attention to. So, John, what's up with these? Yeah, I mean, there's um, been a bunch of track that people. We've, I think we've talked about it before, but uh, you know, general bugs with 8.2 and or you know, 8.x, 8.1 um, with ActiveSync and some countering issues um, that uh, have you know persisted um, in the iOS builds. Um, so this update. Picks up a lot of those. I think there's still some outstanding ones, but um, a lot of these have been, you know, fixed in 8.2. Um, 8.3 in beta, too. I'm not sure when we might see that, but uh, but uh, definitely. And, of course, you know, there's this little device that they're coming out with, I think, called the Watch. Uh, <laughs> um, you'll need 8.2 to have the uh, the Watch configuration app, too. Which I can't wait for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know darn well you'll have a watch by the time we get to it. Indeed. Right? <laughs> and a new MacBook, too. I can't wait for that. I ordered a new MacBook Pro. That'll be here Tuesday. And then I'm going to get another. I'm gonna get a MacBook as well, and then I want my watch. <laughs> hmm. 
my Apple uh, cost me a lot of money this week. Yeah, my uh, MacBook, uh, my MacBook Pro with Retina scan is, I think, at the bottom of this big stack of papers on my desk here, and I think it's been there for a couple of months. <laughs> so, but uh, okay, good to see that they came out with uh, an update that fixes some of the mail email uh, stability issues. So. Um, yeah, I mean, like I said, I mean, those those kind of things, and, and it's always this, you know, took a war between uh, Microsoft and Apple sometimes, you know, in terms of who owns this sort of thing, because, you know, it's Apple's putting in the ActiveSync stack, right? So, um, you know, but they've been, they've, I think they've gotten a lot better between the two, getting these things ironed out over the years, too. I mean, you know, Apple understands how critical this is um, for the enterprise market, certainly, so, you know. It's not. You know, it used to be back in the day. It was more of an afterthought. Like, oh yeah, we'll, we'll get around and fix that. Sure, we will. <laughs> now it's like, no, we better right now. Next up, uh, last month in February, uh, our own Steve Goodman wrote uh, an article on MSExchange.org about uh, using the hybrid configuration wizard in Exchange 2013. Um, now Steve has come out with uh, part two. Uh, it was released on uh, the 10th of March. Um, continues on with a lot of information about the hybrid configuration wizard. Um, in this particular. Uh, part it he breaks down the changes that the hybrid configuration wizard makes um, and some information around enabling the federation trust feature so um, if you're if you're using the hybrid configuration wizard or looking at it this is this is a very informative uh, article by Steve he did a fabulous job on it yeah it looks great um, I think it was put up the tenth uh, on a exchange org um, they're definitely a great uh, run through on on hybrid. Yeah, and in you know rolling right along with that, um, there's a new episode on te- or a new article on TechNet about how and when to decommission your on-prem exchange server in a hybrid deployment. So if you're moving to a, a completely uh, online uh, exchange uh, scenario, then um, this article will you know use Steve's information on how to get uh, into hybrid mode, and then uh, the TechNet article on how to uh, how to decommission all your old stuff once you're you're fully over on uh, Exchange Online. So, lots of information about um, you know what steps to to do in which order, and uh, uh, lots of diagrams and some some good information there. Some screenshots of the the uh, uh, Office 365 admin tools and yeah, and, you know, and again, the Wizard is a great piece too um and they keep updating it and making it better but still it's there's still some things that you know i think um articles like steve really help flesh out better than what we get by default you know um because there's you know a lot of there's a lot of pieces certainly to the hybrid uh configuration yeah. steps yeah you know? a lot of moving parts yeah. a lot of moving parts and uh back in the day it was very <laughs> painful to get, get get working right and for all the different pieces um so this us definitely welcome and again you know in, you know in, in some ways it's it, you still you know we talk about like being exchange guys or link guys i mean i obviously do a lot more with link than i do with exchange anymore but still these things i you know i still have to be cognizant of these because you know more times than not increasingly right um we're even though we're link on prem we're you know usually more and more uh, having seen mail uh, in, the, in the same organization on on service and uh, you know, I, I you need to know these pieces, right? Because they affect link too, even if you're looking at it from a link perspective. Right, right. Yeah, you're bringing in UM and all that stuff. Um, Office 2016 Mac preview, John. This had to make you happy. Yeah, it's cool. I, I mean, we all know the 2011 was just abysmal. So I mean, with Outlook release, um, which is wicked, wicked, wicked good, and we've talked about that in the past. But I absolutely, love, I mean, I think I probably use Outlook on Mac now more than I do even 
on my VMs and PC. To be honest with you, I just love it. Um, although I, I have this uncanny, uh, there's, uh, there's, uh, uh, you know, because you can do this combined inbox kind of thing, right? But I always got to be careful if I have multiple, you know, uh, email environments. It, it, it's easy to send mail from the wrong one if you're not paying attention. Mm-hmm. That's one thing I do a lot, a lot. It seems like, but um, so you know, so, you know, so you've got Outlook now, and now, and then OneNote. Um, but uh, it's a welcome preview for what we're going to see with the, uh, you know, when they finally release it uh, this year. I'm hoping. Um, but uh, and obviously, you know, it'll be interesting. Still... Uh, sorry to interrupt, but it'll be interesting no. to see if, uh, you know, the fact that you can do combined accounts uh, in the Outlook, if it has the same limitations as using combined uh, accounts in the PC client. So, you know, things like SMIME and archiving and uh, some other things that you know, if if you if you want to turn those features on for just one of the accounts that you have uh, in Outlook, but not the others, if uh, if the Mac client will have the same uh, the same issues. Yeah, it's going to make me yeah, break I mean, out I mean, my I mean, uh, my Mac just to test that. <laughs> well, you know, and I think probably there's some you know certainly some feature parity differences like we we would expect though uh, with the PC client, but. I mean, you know, considering, especially focusing on Outlook, considering where it came from and how bad out the, you know, the last version of Outlook was, I mean, it's, you know, this is, uh, in some ways, you know, a huge leap forward, you know. Um, but so, well, and, you know, with, with Excel, I mean, I really like the new Excel. Um, obviously, there's still some PC specific stuff like ActiveX controls and stuff that you're not going to see on the Mac. So some kind of more advanced, um, you know, spreadsheets are not going to work the same way on a PC. That's one downside, you know, um, I think, like for the, um, 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 you know, for things like the uh, call, call the, the, the CQM um, uh, report uh, mm-hmm. spreadsheet, you know, like that that doesn't work. I'm sure Rask doesn't work, you know, that kind of stuff, you know, um, because they're, more, you know, using, you know, more advanced uh, Excel features. But generally, I mean, I, I'm, I'm very pleased with, with the new client. And now it's got support for a OneDrive, OneDrive for Business. Uh. Yeah, yeah, and um, you know, obviously the 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 last shoe to drop is a, is a new uh, Sky for Business client, <laughs> right? We're right, all, which, which is not in this. That. There's no link. Client no, right, this, so. right. And that, I think that's if anyone had a beef, that was it. Like, where's the new? We need a new link client. Yeah, every every you know, I I, I often tell people, you know, if you've only ever used the Mac client for Link. Uh, you don't understand how broken it is until you use the the link client on a PC. Um, oh, it's it, I mean it drives know, me and, nuts. I know, and and you know, um, well, and we I think we've talked about this before too, but yeah, and we made this very clear to certain parties at Microsoft for, in different events. But I mean, you know, it, it. I think they finally know they understand now that they must get this out as soon as they can because I mean. It is what it is, you know. People are using Macs in corporate environments, and and um, and depending on the type of you know community in a co- corporation, um, it's not just as oh, a couple people in the um, you know in the uh, you know graphic design department have Macs. It's a lot more than that now, you know. Um, and you know, and when and, and it's in, you know, even in my day to day, I mean, I mean, I being the Mac guy in so a lot of places, I, I'm tasked with supporting the Mac client. Uh, um, organizations and it's getting to the point where it's like oh, i want to just start telling people stop using it <laughs> buy parallels install windows in a vm and on your mac because it's just like it's so bad you know mm-hmm. um and it's not even just stability stuff it's just yeah it's more about the just feature parity stuff like this doesn't work that doesn't work you know it's, it's sort of and it's you know and again i'm being the guy who's usually got to write a lot of these docs of like how to do a certain thing in link it was always got to be the mac version you know what i mean 
And I've actually put some things out um, on my blog uh, that I've done recently, like how, you know, how, to, how to do this in the Mac client, you know, because some of it's just not intuitive. You know, that's another problem. Well, you know, once uh, uh, once you get that out of the way, exchange uh, 2013 uh, management packs for SCOM. So I can't remember the last time this was updated, but the uh, SCOM management pack for Exchange 2013 has finally been updated. Um, have you played with this at all, John? No, I actually haven't loaded the new one. I, we loaded the new Mac ones uh, not that long ago. I'm not sorry, the, the new the, the Link ones uh, not that long ago, but I haven't actually uh, used the updated um, management pack. Yeah, the, Again, the two issues that I've seen that it fixes is uh, discovery of um, DMZ edge servers. Um, it now works correctly, I guess. And um, throw there's an exception error with uh, trying to collect mailbox stats, um, and that's now fixed. <clears throat> but it looks like uh, Microsoft has updated a whole bunch of the management packs, so including the link management pack now that's out. Next up, Randy Chapman has come out with a new guide to PowerShell for Link and Exchange Online. So if you have to deal with uh, interfacing with Office 365, uh, Lincoln Exchange Online, and you want to use some PowerShell, Randy's come up with a pretty good uh, uh, breakdown of what's involved, how to get connected from a PowerShell session perspective, and some of the different uh, commandlets and uh, scripts that you can run. Uh, John, you don't do a lot with uh, Exchange Online, do you? Well, no, actually I do. Um, I was like I said earlier, um, you know, increasingly, you know, I'm not the Exchange guy or I'm not the um, – you know, my role is not the exchange guy or a you know 365 administrator type, but I need to know. You know, if you have a uh, link deployment and you have Exchange Online, you need to know those kind of things for UM and and, and that. So um, I do some of that, you know, um, from time to time. And yeah, this is a great article, and I and I, I always love the allow clobber switch. It's just <laughs> it's one of my favorite switches. Um, <laughs> But uh, no, I mean it's handy stuff, you know. And I forget, you know, because I'm not doing it all the time. I sometimes I forget the you know syntax to to uh, import the you know uh, 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 online module, that kind of stuff. But this is it's a really good article. Yeah, good stuff. Randy's always got uh, some great information. So it's it's an in-depth article. Tells you pretty much everything you need to know. So kudos to Randy for that. And uh, while we're over uh, talking to John, John, your neck of the woods, uh, Microsoft Ignite. So uh, lots of sessions. Looks like the full session list is out now for for Ignite. Eighty sessions in Exchange. That's not bad. There, I, I haven't actually looked. I, I asked on on Twitter last week um, um, when they might the session builder might be out. I think it's um, they said by the end of the month. So hopefully we should see a session builder soon because uh, I want to get my uh, schedule <laughs> set up as it is. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously we talked about uh, quite a bit. I'm extremely pumped. Um, hopefully the river won't be green by the time people get here. Cause <laughs> I, I still don't know why we do that. I'm still going, like, why are we still dying the river green? But whatever. How long does that um, take for that to go away? I don't know. A couple of days, I think. <laughs> it's just it's like, why are we still doing that? Um, but, uh, well, and again, given that it's going to be 70 tomorrow here, uh, Hopefully it might, it'll be nice in May, but it could snow again too. Who knows? Um, but uh, yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it. Um, you know, I think we're, we're going to get some different sessions on what's next. You know, what's coming in the new version of Exchange V next. Um, I'm sure that's going to be awesome. Um, the usual uh, great speakers are going to be here from the Exchange side, so um, I'm very excited about that. And uh, and I got we were talking about earlier, just you know, also some some of the general Windows stuff, too, I might, you know, again, I haven't been to TechEd in a while, because I prefer to go to, you know, more 
single product focused things like LinkedIn for Mac, but it's nice to sometimes get you know some of these what's new in server and stuff. Uh, so. Right. Yeah, and uh, I looked at the uh, sessions as well, and I saw there were over a hundred sessions for Office 365. And uh, I also see that there are a lot of sessions that are like multi-platform or multi-product, where they want to show the not just a single product, but uh, what you can do when you have more than one of them in your environment. So um, yeah, I'm li- really looking forward to Ignite and and all the sessions there, and, and I actually think there are. 48 sessions for Link as well, so not as many as Exchange, apparently. Yeah, you know, if you if you look at the number of sessions, I mean, that, that's a that's a great point, Stalia, but, you, you know, if you look at Mac and how many sessions there were at Mac, there's less sessions at Ignite than there were at Mac, and, you know, Link or Skype for Business is the same thing. There was, I think, over 100 sessions at uh, the Link conference last year, and this year at, at Ignite, there's, uh, I'm looking at the the session list now, there's 46. So definitely yeah. a step down as far as that. But, you know, the multi-platform um, sessions, I think, are going to add up to that and, and enhance that. And it'll be nice to see what they're doing. But, you know, I, I do wish there were more sessions. Yeah, I agree. And, it, you know, I mean, it's, it's a trade-off, I think, you know, when you have a conference that's big. And we've talked about this, you know, I mean, that's why I love, love LinkCom because it was so small in some ways. You know, like a lot of sessions, not, not a ton of people. Focus on one product, and that you know. Um, but you know, I, there's some merits for it to be larger, and like I said, you know, other other types of things that I might not, not normally sit on sessions, those kind of things, because you know, if you're not going to tech tech head, right? Um, but uh, yeah, uh, and, and I expect, I mean, a lot of them are going to be around what's new. I'm, I'm assuming by then, and um, you know, we'll get a lot more announcements about Skype for Business Server, things that you know might not have been public yet. But um, it seems like a lot of that. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> but maybe you know some people will see see some of these in action for the first time too, um, which I think is nice. But yeah, I agree. I mean, there's you know it's a it's a balance uh, um, from a, a you know how many sessions can you even pull off, right? Yeah, yeah. There's a uh, lot of I'm guessing some of the. Sorry, I was gonna say there's a lot of speculation about um, things that'll be announced for Link or Skype for Business at uh, Ignite. And I think somebody on this uh, podcast has a session. Uh, yeah, Stalin, you're talking about phone numbers, huh? <laughs> yeah, phone numbers. <laughs> That's so fun. That's so uh, such an awesome topic. And uh, apparently there is a need for it as well because there have been a lot of customer conversations where, do you know how to manage your phone number? And they say, no, not really. And then we start diving into it, and it's actually quite complex. So, uh, yep, I'm going to talk about phone numbers again. I yeah, saw your I saw your session at uh, uh, previously. Um, was it Link Conference or, or, well. <laughs> or yeah, Norwegian Link, Conference, Link yeah. Day? Um, and uh, yeah, good stuff. I mean, plenty of things to think about. So good content. I'll I'll probably sit through it again. Yeah, it's, it's funny. I mean, because you know, if, if uh, uh, you know, I, I, I you know, be a consultant, I go from project to project, and I see I've seen like every combination of you know phone number management. You can from a spreadsheet to you know just a, a, a text list. You know, everyone's kind of got their own way of doing it, and it's Notepad. you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, I actually, I truly believe you can save hours on doing it right in the long run. Yeah, totally. And it's, and it's something you don't, you don't think about that you, you know it's kind of taken for granted. But it's an important thing, especially as you get bigger and bigger environments. Like, okay, how do we, you know, how moves that, how moves that changes work? Who's going to be the authoritative list? You know, sometimes it's AD, but sometimes it's you know PeopleSoft or something. You know. 
And then how does that trickle down to how, how somebody gets a phone number and how do you reuse that phone number when somebody leaves and all kinds of stuff. And it's, it's, it's not just, you know, see, it seems trivial, but really it's not. It's actually a, a big pain point for a lot of places. Yeah. And it's right up the user's alley, right? So if your phone number is not correct, then the link is broken. Yeah, that's true. Well, yeah, and especially if you, you know, you tie in extensions and stuff like that, then, um, you know, to pin for UM or whatever, you know, that, then that, that they're really broken then. Especially people that are, you know, very phone centric, they, they will go nuts if they can't get their voicemail. <laughs> yeah. So, so back to the Ignite sessions. I, I think that, uh, there are some exchange and, uh, uh, Skype for Business sessions and SharePoint sessions that are buried inside those hundred and something Office 365 sessions as well. Yeah. So I think there are more than the 40 or 80 uh, Lincoln or, or Exchange sessions that uh, that's there. Uh, and I think uh, if you had 100 sessions at uh, LinkConf, you, you can find 100 sessions that equally interesting at Ignite. Oh, I don't discount that there's you know going to be a lot of great content and and plenty of sessions. I think that uh, my my point is the dedicated sessions about a specific product. Um, but you know it's going to be interesting to see. I mean you're going to have fifteen twenty thousand people in this location. It's going to be interesting to see how they pull it off. And you know you're going to get I think a lot of people that. Um, you know, like John said, it's it's nice to go to conferences that are dedicated for a specific product. You know, when you get to something like um, uh, TechEd or Ignite or something where you've got people across, you know, all these different disciplines, uh, you know, the kind of people that are going to show up for, say, your phone number uh, session just to see what's going on versus the number of people that might show up, you know, at Link Conference. So, right. But, uh, yeah, interesting, so. Yeah, I actually heard uh, from the Norwegian Facebook page uh, for Ignite that there were 13,000 registered users or attendees are right now. Good. Yeah, yeah. I actually thought it would be more. Yeah. That's quite a bit, though. Well, I guess yeah. <laughs> my, my blog on like where to eat and stuff is any indication to people. There's a lot of people that have been asking me questions like they've actually never been here before. You know, and it's, it's kind of funny. I'm like, you know, you just assume people have been to Chicago before. But uh it's I, it's funny. I, I'm getting more I'm getting more hits and more questions on and posts on that blog than anything I've ever done. Yeah, you, you know it's it's funny you mention that because a few years ago I wrote a, a blog post on attending your first MVP summit, and um, it got a lot of traction and a lot of uh, comments the same way. It's like you know people just want to know what to expect when they when they show up so that they can concentrate on you know good content and well you know parties and stuff. <laughs> yeah, and obviously my, my my I was kind of more food centric, uh, so that's why people are like, "Oh, should I go to eat?" I'm like, "Well, I'll give me a good list." Actually, I just updated too. I put some more Chinese restaurants in Chinatown. What's so. wrong with the conference food, right? So, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, and of course everybody will be partying at John's house, but that's another. There story. you go. Yeah, looking uh, forward to that. One thing. Well, there's places. I mean, I, I said it sort of in the blog too. I mean, used to be that the corn place was like you know like Fort Apache, the Bronx, like in the middle of you know in the middle of nowhere sort of, but. Um, and that's not so much anymore. So there are places you could pop out if you didn't want to eat the, you know, conference food nearby that are good too. So, well, yeah, and a lot of people I think that are coming in from out of town are going to come in a day early, stay a day late, or you know, want to go out and do things, you know, afterwards, uh, you know, each night. So it's good to have a great list of, you know, places to avoid, places to check out, and. Yeah, somebody asked me on the blog, like you know, like uh, how close they want to catch a, a baseball game and how close, uh, <laughs> you know, I actually had to go. He's like, you know, what, you know, how close is U.S. Cellular? I'm like, U.S. Cellular Field. What, what's that? I look, I look it up. <laughs> it's uh, Comiskey Park. I'm like, they changed the name. I didn't even know it. Um, 
But, you know, I'm like, oh, that's actually like, I mean, I, you could walk there. I don't know if I would, but you could walk there from McCormick. But it's, you know, it's like tops 10 minutes, you know, or 15 minutes. Great. All right, back on track. Uh, John, we were talking about this before we started recording. Uh, Kemp, they are giving away free load balancers. What is up with this? Yeah, it's cool. Well, so they basically took their, what is it, a 200? Yep. Um, VLM and- 200? Yeah, and gave it away for free. Um, there's no support, and it's limited throughput, like, to 20 meg or something. But, um, um, I mean, for a lot of people, this should be a great, not only a lab, but, um, you know, I mean, you could use this in a pinch for a lot of scenarios. Uh, great, you know, great load balancer, and now made better by being totally free. Um, in fact, I'm actually wrestling trying to get it working right now in my own home lab because, you know, although my TMG is still crank it away <laughs> one day it will be you know it will die and i and i will not be able to restore it so um i'm looking to you know try to use it as an alternative but uh but uh, this is an awesome awesome thing that kemp did i really you know people are pretty psyched about it i think you know in that way in a way that only a true nerd can be psyched about a free a free load balancer but, you know, <laughs> no, but it's a good way to get people started with it right absolutely yeah, yeah. And yeah. Learn it's it good and, move. Uh, yeah, I, I think yeah, I think it was brilliant, and um, and I mean, we've been we've been recommending Kemp for a long, long time. I know I do, you know, uh, uh, in business quite a bit, and uh, again, this is just a really good way to be able to demo it, try it, you know, proof of concept, whatever. Um, but I think for small individual, you know, small stuff like labs too, it's going to be invaluable to so, use. So, do you know if it if it's possible to move from this free version to a licensed version with more? Yeah, it looks like, I mean, there's an upgrade button, um, so I think you can license, you know, get this configured and then license it and turn it to a to to a full version. That's awesome. Yeah, and, and the uh, the GUI is exactly the same um, as the the physical hardware version. So, if you are, you know, want to get used to, you know, the Kemp load balancers and, and in your home lab, it's a great way to get used to it and figure out how, you know, where things are laid out and how to configure things. And, you know, Kemp's got some great uh, deployment guides on their website, step by step. Here's how to set it up for, um, you know, link uh, front end pools. And here's how to set it up as a reverse proxy for Office Web App servers and things like that. And it's really straightforward to get these things set up. So, you know. Yeah, and then the. Michael wrote a good blog post on how you can publish multiple services for, on the same IP addresses as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, by using, yeah, uh, yeah. The, the really, you really should check that out. Uh, he created a white paper out of it, I think, for for Kemp. Yeah, so, it's, uh, it's great stuff. I mean, there there's stuff uh, I've used F5s and Kemp's, and I've got uh, physical Kemp devices in my lab. Um, these are great. I mean, they're they're. It doesn't take much to get them set up. Um, you know, for those of you that don't read the uh, uh, the manual, you can get the HA stuff set up in you know in two minutes uh, if you've got a couple of these and uh, um, and and just works. I mean, it's a great replacement, like John said, for TMG. You can do all your reverse proxy stuff. They've got templates for Exchange, for uh, ADFS, uh, Link, uh, and a couple other things. I'm trying to think of the ones that I have installed. Um, oh, already gateway too. That's another big one. Because again, again, yep. you know, that's that's today. I, I, you know, I have TMG from my home lab, but I mean, I use that for you know everything from Exchange and Link, but also already uh, already web gateway too. So, yeah, um, you know, like I said, I'm I'm in the process of, of building out this free camp to to do all that, you know, and 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 kind of like I said, shut down my TMG server. I just yeah, can't get to working right now. <laughs> <laughs> I just deployed uh, a couple of camps for one of our customers in one of their data centers on the other side of the world. And, you know, literally a half an hour from the time I logged into them to having them up 
as a NHA pair and having all four of the VIPs defined and everything up and running literally a half an hour. And um, it, it just makes life so much easier. Yeah, speaking of um, um, Randy Chapman, uh, he just wrote a really good um, – I mean, there's been a bunch of great blogs from Ian uh, Bowen a while back. Uh, but, you know, getting, getting camp working, you said you mentioned Michael. Um, but uh, Randy Chapman just did a really good um, one just last week on uh, um, using the camp for load balancing and uh, uh, verse proxy for, for Link. Pretty good detail. Yeah, and the, the templates um, allow you to kind of do things um, – you know, either way you want to do, whether you're using the load balancer for everything or whether you're doing DNS load balancing and then um, using the Kemp's just for your HTTPS traffic. So the templates all break it down. So it's it's really just pick which which uh, scenario you have and fill in the blanks. All right. Yeah, good. Heading over to Office 365 topics. Um, here's one that I just saw this morning. I thought this was pretty interesting. Um, using Windows PowerShell commandlets to enable OneDrive sync for domains that are on the safe recipients list. Uh, this is a new TechNet article, and it basically breaks down how to set this up so you can you can enable OneDrive, you know, with uh, with pe- people on your recipients list. So uh, yeah. kind of kind of a neat scenario. I'd, yeah, I'd be cool. I'd be interested to see how this. Uh, uh, if, there, if we're going to see this in an on-prem uh, solution. Uh, yeah, it's interesting, definitely. Next up, uh, our Paul Cunningham uh, did a pretty good article on uh, Office 365 for Exchange Professionals. This is uh, uh, kind of a new book for uh, Exchange guys and, and how to deal with Office 365. Uh, John, have you taken a look at this at all? Yeah, I actually was going through it uh, when he announced it. Um, um, it looks uh, like very good stuff. That's... Uh, uh, Tony Roman and Michael Van Horn, Michael Van Hornbeck. Um, yeah, you know, it's a great guide for um, setting up 365 and managing it. Yeah, very cool. <clears throat> and uh, speaking of Office 365, a new uh, mobile app, uh, the Office 365 Partner Admin Mobile App. So now there's uh, there's a mobile app out so that you can do a lot of your Office 365 management if you're a partner. Uh, right from a mobile device. So it's available on Android and uh, uh, iOS, and there is a version coming for Windows Phone. Of course, uh, it's always lagging behind, even from <laughs> Microsoft. It uh, doesn't make a lot of sense. But um, it's kind of nice because it, it allows you to go in as a partner, see all the different um, clients that you have listed, go into that client and take care of any uh, most administrative tasks, you know, whether it's Exchange Online or Link Online, SharePoint, um, Yammer, all that Yammer, <laughs> uh, and all that stuff. And, um, you know, so if you're out of the office and, you know, suddenly need to make some changes, uh, you know, there's now a mobile app for you. So, Yeah, it's cool. Again, I guess, you know, for, 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 partner co- for companies that, like, do a lot of, you know, uh, deployment and management of different uh, 365, you know, tenants for, for, their, for their customers, this is really handy to be able to, you know, jump in and out and, uh, you know, Per per sort of tenant, you know. Yeah. You, 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 just as a as a tangent, yeah. You, with the Yammer, I mean, I'm actually ironically seeing a lot more use of that in, in some organizations than I ever thought I would. To be honest. Yeah, we, it actually we use it a kind lot of handy internally. in some ways. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 okay. I mean, it's it's there is some limitations to it, but you know, I I always just kind of joke about it. Uh, um, it, it does have its uh, its place. Yeah, yeah. One problem I have is uh, the attaching files is not. Best for a lot of people who have a complaint that they 
can't get to the files. It's like I end up having to have a separate share kind of thing. I'm like, well, but what's the point of having this feature if I can't, yeah. if it's not reliable? It, it needs, the one thing I think that would make it so much better is if there was uh, link integration. So, you know, pres- at least, you know, I am in presence. Yeah, definitely. Or, or using it as some sort of like, you know, uh, uh, repository, like a whiteboard type, you know, Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, put links to, to stuff there. I think that'd be really cool. Yeah, we, we do that a lot internally at Modality. Uh, next up, uh, Clutter. Uh, we've talked about Clutter here before. Um, and a new article out about uh, uh, making Clutter in Office 365 even better and basically goes into using a transport rule to help organize your, uh, your Clutter processing. So... Um, I haven't used Clutter. I know we've talked about it in the past, but uh, John, are you a Clutter guy? I I, you know, I, I use it on one of the tenants that I um, uh, you know have access to, and it's interesting. I mean, I you know again, I I I, I, you know, I probably I consider myself old school, and I typically use a you know heavy client for mail and not so much OA, but it depends on you know. But uh, it's cool stuff. I mean, um, and uh, we were talking about it, I think in the last episode, but. Um, yeah, I, there's, there was a presentation from Microsoft um, on this last week um, that I attended, and uh, it's very interesting. Um, so, yeah, using transport rules to kind of manipulate, you know, things that go in and out of Clutter is pretty cool way of, you know, sort of managing this, I think. Yeah, I, I've been using Clutter both on my work email and my uh, uh, blog email, and it, it really works. I, I love it. And uh, you don't have to create rules for everything. It just starts... Um, sorting itself out so uh, I can bubble up the email that's important for me and uh, and read the uh, informational email like from Yammer groups and so on later uh, so it's it's uh, working quite fine and um, but uh, I'm, um, I understand that uh, as we're talking about here that some organization may want that some emails shouldn't be cluttered away uh, and that's what the transport rules here is all about Hmm. Yeah, no, and um, you know, well, I mean, this might sound like uh, a ding, but I mean, I I I move my um, uh, MX records to service, you know, uh, probably a year and a half ago, and uh, for my you know home uh, email environment. You, and, wait, you know, wait, 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 you moved them where? To 365. Oh, you said Surface. Oh, I said <laughs> I said I meant to say Surface email. <laughs> But, um, and, you know, it's generally great. Uh, the anti-spam is a little bit wonky sometimes, and I, you know, find myself having to, um, you know, go in and, and I get the weekly spam report, right, and I go in and find things that should not have been picked up. So, I, I, you know, I want, on one hand, I'm a little bit uh, 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 nervous about clutter in some extent. You know, I mean, I, you know, so I, I almost rather would rather have clutter and let, let, let all the spam come through and let, and let clutter take care of it so I can at least go in and see it, you know what I mean, instead of having to go and see what spam picked up, you know, but um, I, I, I totally like the fact that, like, it's a way to, you know, totally sort of uh, triage just, you know, mail. Um, and like I said, I would rather have it be in the client sort of than just magically disappear. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, it's a different folder, and, and you can read it when it suits you. So it, Microsoft is helping you doing email writes, like sorting stuff in, in uh, folders and, and uh Shuffling things around so that what's probably important for you is is on the top and maybe the, those informational Twitter emails and whatever uh, gets uh, sorted out somewhere in a different folder. 
Yeah, along those lines, we were talking about the Outlook for iOS client uh, last episode. I mean, and, and it has its, you know, the, the kind of focused inbox thing, which is actually pretty brilliant. I mean, I use that now, oh, like, way more than I thought I would, you know. And now, you know, I, I mean, I you know, like a lot of people, a lot of us, I have, like, you know, 18 ActiveSync accounts on, you know, on my phone. And, you know, it's nice that, like, I, you know, I'll, I'll get, like, a notification, but it won't bubble up to the screen. And I know that probably that's not something that's absolutely critical, you know what I mean? So it does cut down on how much you're grabbing your phone and looking, and you know, at at at, at that email because you know it's like, oh, it's you know, it's something from Amazon or something. You know, it's uh, I want to read it, but I don't want to read it right now, right now, and it's not worth me, you know, looking at the phone for, you know. Um, right. So like, yeah. these things, you know, definitely, uh, you kind of have to trust them, you know what I mean? But uh, they're getting pretty. It uses quick, machine right? learning, you know, so it's right, got to right. be awesome. <laughs> It'll be good when I hit my watch. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Uh, next up, Enterprise Mobility Suite, EMS. So uh, previously, um, you could get this, which includes um, uh, Azure Active Directory Premium, Intune, and Azure Rights Management. Uh, it was only available as part of an EA uh, plan. Uh, it's now available in open licensing as, a, as of the beginning of the month. So uh, Microsoft's got a, a nice little... Um, article on the partner network on, on how to take advantage of this and what this can mean for you if, you, uh, if you're if you in a, a migration scenario or fully out in the cloud and want to utilize these solutions. So good to see that it's now available for open licensing and not just EA. Yeah, it's a really good thing because um, if you want to utilize Azure Active Directory Premium, you want to do single sign-on with other applications as well. And not having to have an EA agreement uh, to do that is a good thing. So it's more available to more people, and, and we get to deliver it to more customers that can utilize this stuff. So it's a good thing. Good, good. Uh, all right, heading over to uh, Link and Skype for Business. Uh, the first one is interesting timing. Uh, I was writing a white paper for a customer uh, a week or so ago, and was trying to explain uh, federation and the different kinds of federation within Link and how um, you can utilize more than one type of federation and when each comes into play. And I thought, you know, it would be nice if we could automate the ability to go from uh, an organiz a federated organization that was being limited uh, into an allowed domain. So right now you have to look in the event log on your edge servers and uh, look for your 14603 um, uh, event IDs to see if any of your federated partners are being throttled and then manually adding them to the allowed domains list. And uh, lo and behold, just as I started formulating this uh, kind of script in my mind, uh, Paul Valent came up with uh, a script that does it for you. So uh, it's kind of a neat approach how he does it. it uh, you run it on your Edge server, and it goes out and looks at all the event IDs and basically creates a script that you then run on one of your front-end servers, and it goes through and adds all of the, um, the throttled domains to your allowed list. And it's kind of nice. It has a nice little GUI, so it allows you to pick and choose from each domain whether you want to uh, allow it or just continue letting it be throttled or whatever the case may be, and then... Just take that script, run it on your front end server, and uh, life is good. So, um, yeah, that's awesome. I yeah. actually didn't see this. Yeah, I, I was playing around with it the other day. It's uh, it, it's an interesting approach. Probably not the same way I would have gone about doing it, but it gets the job done, and that's what matters. 
And, yeah, and actually, this is timely too because actually I was having a discussion with somebody uh, about this very thing. You know, it's one of the downsides of being open, right? I mean, you you get all of these things kind of cluttering your your edge servers, right? And uh, you know, it's sort of a byproduct of being having open fed, right? Right, and it, you know, uh, Kevin Peters, uh, Link guy, uh, has wrote a, a pretty good article. It's it's several years old now, but it still applies, breaking down the different types of federation and how things are configured and the, the pros and cons for using each method. And uh, like I mentioned before, uh, you don't have to use just one of these methods. You can use one method for certain types of traffic and, uh, you know, and a different method for, you know, uh, uh, partners that you get a lot more traffic from. Uh, but he does a, a great job of breaking it down and, and explaining when you might want to use each one of these. So, you know, between that and Paul's uh, script, um, you know, keep you up and running with the, the least amount of uh, issues there. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure a lot, a lot of uh, link uh, administrators and consultants have been thinking about this. But uh, uh, having a script doing this is uh, awesome. And um, uh, and it really helps uh, clear out the event log on the Edge server. So it's uh, I think it's... Um, it covers a, a good uh, demand uh, for scripts out there. Yeah, you know, I'd like to see something, and, and maybe I'll, I'll whip something up that is more of an automated perspective, or at least gives you maybe a report that allows you to kind of do this a little more smoothly. Paul's uh, script is an on-demand thing; it's not automated. Um, but uh, you know, in bigger environments, I can definitely see where you're, you know, with a lot of users, you could see a lot more domains showing up with uh, these 14.603 events and, you know, needing to be addressed. So, uh, um, but, it, it, you yeah, know. The issue here is that, that you don't have the access to the front-end servers that you want to have uh, from an edge server, I guess. Uh, so having this automated is, isn't that easy. So it's a, this is right. a good start. Yes, yeah, yes, definitely. Cool. You know, it, like, like I said, it's like I, I, I had this rolling around in my head. I'm like, okay, you know, how do I want to approach it? What do I want to consider? Oh, hey, look at this. Somebody already did it. So, you know, um, it, it's nice. I, I ran it on a production environment, and um, and it worked great. So so how about posting uh, the script on OneDrive, which you have access to on the Edge server and the front-end service? That would be awesome. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, that was a good idea right there. Well, yeah, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there you go. I mean, the the big thing is um, you can run it directly from a front end. He he does have that built into it. It does prompt you for edge server credentials, um, and then we'll go out from the from the front end server. We'll go out and query the event log from the edge server and uh, and compile the list. Now, the, the the caveat here is if you have multiple edge servers, you really should query each of those servers. Because um, it's it's possible that a federated partner uh, may show up as a 14603 event on only one or just a couple of your event or your uh, edge servers. So yeah, you know, make sure that you query them all. I d usually what I see is eventually it shows up across all of your edge servers. Yeah. If you're if you're properly load balancing, then um, it should eventually show up across all. But you know, if you look at all of them and compile the list across all of them, then you you may uh, find one that just hasn't hit the uh, your other uh, edge servers yet. So uh, keep that in mind. So if you're using um, System Center Operation Manager, maybe you can create some rules based on that because uh, I guess there you see actually the event logs as well. That's a good point. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. I don't have a lot of experience with uh, with querying that data, but 
Hmm. Yeah, I think it's possible because then you can take action on if you see that event idea and then and then run the script maybe. Yeah, yeah, good yeah. point. Yeah, good thoughts right here, right? Yeah, so. that's right. <laughs> hey, Paul, make it so. Um, yeah, make it so. Okay, next up, uh, John, March 2015 update for Link for Mac. Tell us about it. Um, yeah, I, you know, that might, not, not crazy. I don't think there's any really new features. It's mostly just bug fixes. Um, the KB article has a list of, uh, um, you know, what's fixed. I mean, obviously, we were talking about it earlier in the podcast. Any fixes are great because there's so many things that are sort of busted. That, you know, um, everything's, you know, any any help is, a, is welcome. Um yeah, I just like I said, basically just general bug fixes, uh, more or less. Um, the KB spells not what those are, but uh, um, it's been very stable. I think this and the predecessor fourteen uh, ten um, um, allowed for um, uh, official support for 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 Yosemite, um, which is pretty welcome. Um, you know, because if you if you're like me who always jumps on the newest version of everything, <laughs> you sometimes plug your spite yourself uh, because you uh, now have things that are broken <laughs> by upgrading <laughs> to the newest OS. <laughs> so, Yeah, so it looks like uh, I'm looking at the list of uh, fixes, uh, calendar button and schedule a meeting, uh, menu buttons uh, not being available, that's now fixed. Uh, can't receive an audio warning for an incoming call, that's fixed. Uh, can't dial a DTMF-based uh, number when you use a CX-300. That's fixed. Yeah, I was actually laughing about that. I'm like, that's pretty... Somebody with a CX-300 and a Mac tethered to it. You know, <laughs> you know, to it. That's, that seems corner case, but okay. <laughs> yeah, and some, uh, you know, slow to update things like your audio status icon. Yeah, and, it's been uh, pretty stable, i got to say. Um, yep. I've been running it, you know, since it came out, so... Uh, um, no complaints. I mean, in terms of you know the, the crashing bugs that that we had in previous versions, it seems to be much better than that. So right, cool. So uh, Ari Prothro came out with an article on how to control the link and Skype UI. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, the link and Skype for Business client UI. Um, you know when you have a Skype for Business deployment. So uh, it was interesting. I didn't think this was public knowledge yet, but uh, he's got it out there. So we'll discuss it. Um, uh, Skype for Business Client, You can, when you push it out to your users, you can configure it to show the link UI or the Skype UI. There are some, um, some caveats to when you do that, and Ari's uh, uh, article does go into some of that. But he does show you how to set the client policy to mm-hmm. enable the Skype UI or the link UI. Um, and, and that's going to be good for your migration scenarios. You want, you want to get the client rolled out to everybody and then maybe uh, tweak some of your your training information and your how-tos, you know, especially when you hire John to come up with the information on how to do it for a Mac. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But um, it's pretty cool. It does, uh, it uses a a client policy entry um, on your client policy. So um, Ari breaks down how to set that and and how to trigger it and uh, some caveats on, on, uh, you know, when you use it. So, um, I like the Skype for Business UI. I, I, I can't complain. It's uh, I, I've been on it for probably six months, and uh, it's kind of grown on me. So, yeah, and this is something that you know. Again, it was sort of like we were talking about before we started recording. Like you know how with this release, things have kind of got released in terms of what's public in a weird way that you know, in a good way I think. But you know, just sort of like <laughs> there hasn't been this monolithic like okay here a little you know here's a big announcement and here's all the new stuff right. It's sort of like come out. 
in sort of weird sideways kind of ways, you know. And this is one of those things that we've known uh, for a while that, you know, basically this new Skype for Business client is really just, it's the same link client but with, you know, skin in essence, right? But you can control what it looks like depending on what version of server you're on, which is obviously a you know, big ask from companies because, you know, they don't want, you know, you get moved to a new a new uh, uh, version of the link server and, you know, all of a sudden now you got to tr- train somebody on a new client and all that. Um so this, you know, it's a great thing to be able to have either, you know, uh, uh, look and feel, you know, either either way, depending on where you know you want to be at the time you want to, you know, have people move over, right? Um, so it's cool. Uh, that it, and uh, I actually kind of, you know, work, I talked to Ari before he wrote it, and you know, he was asking me some questions and stuff. So um, yeah, it's cool. I mean, um, this is you know one of those things that. I'm glad it's got out there now, so people can kind of prepare for it. Because I don't think a lot of people really understood what you know what the changes were going to be. Um, and uh, yeah, really good stuff. Yeah, and, yeah, it's, and it, uh, it, oh, go ahead, Sally. Yeah, what, what I found interesting with this article is he also shows how you can do it through registry. So uh, for uh, online users that want to keep the Link 2013 client uh, look and feel, uh, can do that through registry, and we can also play with it uh, on our computers uh, not having uh, to to change the server settings all the time as well so uh, yeah, and, yeah and you know if you a have article. yeah and I, you know if you have it done by uh, client policy you can have different policies for different needs like you know if you want some group of you know um, um, users to only have a specific you know version of the client you can do that now pretty easily uh, I, I like that a lot or you know it, it would be so much you know a certain um, well, I guess it could be like, you know, if you had a certain class of hardware that, you know, you knew people had or kiosks or whatever you wanted to force them one version or another, that could be useful too. Yeah, and, and something to keep in mind too is, um, you know, if you install the, the Skype for Business client, depending on where your account is homed, there are different default settings. Uh, and Ari breaks those down, you know, whether the user yeah. account is homed on a Link 2013 server or a Skype for Business server or a Skype for Business online, um, you know, there's different behavior. So it, I, I highly recommend that you become aware of, you know, what's going on here, because if you start rolling out your clients um, and then start moving users from one server to another, suddenly their their uh, skin's going to change and you want to be prepared for that unless you're going to control it through a, a, a client policy. Yeah, and I don't know maybe certain... not change if if the client is not updated. So um, right. you need to know that you have rolled out the uh, update and uh, rolled out the new client. So, yeah, so maybe you want to control this by having them on 2013 first, and then know that everyone is updated, and then doing the switch. Yep. Yeah, and I don't know. If, I don't know for sure if like the matrix is 100% of like what you know what the behavior is going to be from which version you're on. has been fully decided yet, you know, for RTM. But I guess we'll kind of have to wait and see. Right. Right. Uh, next up, getting back to Kemp, uh, setting up a two-armed Kemp uh, uh, VLM as a reverse proxy and hardware load balancer for Link. So another epi- another article by uh, Randy Chapman. So um, you know most of the Kemp stuff that I've dealt with has been you know single arm for the VIP, and Randy breaks down with uh, uh, some great information, the different scenarios and uh, how the traffic flows in and out of the load balancers. Um, when you have a uh, a two arm uh, load master, so yeah, I was mentioning it earlier. I, I, I really didn't notice it was on the list, <laughs> so I would have referenced that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a great article. Um, like I said before, um, you know, on on getting it set up, I, I actually was using it to try to configure my load master, but I still can't get it working. <laughs> but uh, but uh, good stuff. 
Yeah, yeah and um, I actually tried to configure a tree-armed uh, camp setup uh, because you wanted to have uh, like this uh, public uh, DM set and an internal DM set, uh, reverse proxy. And then you want to load balance as well, the internal servers. Uh, but that didn't work. <laughs> Not at all. So uh, I don't recommend to buy two... Uh, to buy a camp uh, VLM for having it to load balance internal servers as well as being a reverse proxy for your environment, because if it's if it's okay by you to to load balance through the internal DM sets, then you can do it. But if you want to load balance through the internal network uh, and still using the same hardware or uh, the virtual appliances. Uh, you can't do that because well, the load balancer or camp will route the traffic directly to the internal leg if it can from from internet. So it doesn't work like that. So um, I haven't looked at the VLM 200. John, you've got it. So how many interfaces are on that? Just two. Two. Okay. You can have as many as you want. Yeah, you can create VLANs, but there's you know two primary inter- interfaces like the okay. you know quote unquote physical right, um, but um, you can set up VLANs and and dips from there. Yeah, because you yeah. could set up a VIP on one interface as as internal only for your yeah, I, I know, stuff. Yeah, I know, but it doesn't one... work. Okay. Because <laughs> the camp will route it through. It, it will ignore everything. It has a, about rules and strict routing and so on. But it, it ignores that and will, if it can, and if, it going, if it's going to reach a server on the internal network from the Internet, like a reverse proxy, uh, it will just route directly through the external network card, look at, it, uh, at its rules, and then route it through the internal NIC and bypassing the uh, network card that is in the internal DMZ. Okay, so actually I see. I had, see a, had a call okay. with Kemp about that because, in theory, it should work. Mm-hmm. But uh, And they thought so, too, but it doesn't. Yeah. So we'll have to have Bargov. That's my caveat. Yeah. <laughs> well, Bargov uh, Shukla is our resident uh, expert there. We'll have to have him on to maybe discuss that. Yeah, actually, so. I'm tempted to ping him on Twitter right now. <laughs> 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 yeah. So, so the uh, because I thought that was a good idea, right? So, uh, but it uh, wasn't to have this but, three-armed uh, camp. But wouldn't you um, wouldn't you configure a reverse proxy and just have a bunch of uh, real servers configured? Won't it load balance that way? I tried everything. Okay. Uh, I tried using uh, real servers or using the internal services, but it, it did the math in its head and just routed the traffic directly through. Hmm. So it, the traffic didn't go through um, the... It skipped one NIC, really. It, there were no traffic at all at that uh, NIC in the internal DM set. It just went straight into the internal network. Interesting. But... Uh, Using it for two-armed uh, works fine, and uh, then you said have a separate load balancer internally to load balance your internal servers. Okay. And um, that's best practice, and that's what that's what Camp recommends anyway, because yeah. uh, because of security and routing and everything. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, next up, uh, here is a bug that I uh, figured out that kind of drove me crazy. Uh, when you install Link, you know that uh, first when you run uh, Setup, you get the little dialog prompt that says um, Visual C++ 2012 needs to be installed um, and, uh, you know, lets you install it. Um, that is a, a specific version of uh, Visual C++, and um, 
if you go ahead and install that and install link and everything, you can install the debugging tools and the resource kit without a problem. Well, now there is an update out for Visual C++ that takes it to 11.0.61030. And uh, the bug is, is that if you update Visual C++ before you install the resource kit and the debugging tools, those tools will not be able to be installed. Um, and the reason why is because they look for the, the original specific version of Visual C++ and not that as a minimum version. They look at it as a specific version. So, um, you know, if you try to install them after the fact, a little pop-up says, hey, you don't have uh, Visual C++ uh, uh, 10.0.57,000 or whatever it is uh, installed, even though you have a, uh, a newer version of it. So uh, for right now, um, the, the, there's really not a fix, but uh, if you're building servers, make sure you get those tools installed before you run your Windows updates or you're going to be uh, stuck without being able to get them installed. I did reach out to the uh, the product group to find out if there was going to be a newer build of the debugging tools and resource kit. Um, haven't heard anything back yet, but i got to believe that they're working on that. Um, all right, we talked about the, uh, the client update for the Mac. Well, there was also a client update for the Link 2013 client. Uh, this came out um, on March 10th, and uh, there's a TechNet article or a support uh, KB article out on um, uh, on the fix. Kind of a, a big list. There's probably 10 things or so that uh, that this fixes, as well as it being a, um, a cumulative fix, so it fixes everything that uh, was included in previous updates. But uh, some of the things that this includes is. Um, uh, the 2013 client not uh, showing who's changing content in a shared whiteboard, um, some scrolling issues, uh, some issues where you can't connect to presentations, um, not being able to search contacts when you're a Link Online user, uh, things like that. So um, if you're running the Link 2013 client, check it out. Uh, it's KB2956174, and of course, as always, we'll have a link to the KB article on the summary page. All right, Stolly, have you looked at this uh, Link Monitoring Reports decoder? Yes, I did. And tell us about it. And uh, it's an um, uh, article here by uh, Andrew Mor Morpeth. Mm -hmm. and, uh, he has lots of tools, and one of those is an Excel spreadsheet, really, uh, with explaining the quality of experience monitoring reports in detail, what you're looking at. So it explains every bullet point or point in the uh, quality of experience report. Uh, yeah. So, like, uh, what, what's the OS? What, what What is it looking at? It's looking at the client OS that the client is running on. So it explains every point in the, in the quality of experience report, really. Yeah, if you're, you know, if you're a telecom guy, you can look at some of those reports sometimes and everything makes perfect sense to you, but... Um, you know, if you're a generalist or don't spend a lot of time in there, um, some of the fields and data can be somewhat confusing. And um, his spreadsheet breaks it all down to make it, uh, you know, far more intelligent and you understand what the heck you're, you're looking at. So, Yeah, so it's a simple Excel spreadsheet explaining uh, the different uh, reports. Uh, and on that note, uh, he also posted a blog post together with uh, Curtis Johnstone, which is also an MVP. And um, um, uh, it was actually published on the um, Microsoft Press blog post, uh, part of the 
MVP uh, Friday Five blog posts, mm-hmm. and um, they had this really thorough explanation of everything within the using the call to experience database as a as a pro really. So um, it was a really good blog post culminating from everything these guys know about quality experience reports because Curtis has been working on this for a couple of years and been really interesting and writing blog posts about this, and so has Andrew. So these guys sitting down and writing this blog post, I really recommend that you read it. So head over to the Microsoft Press, Press blog post. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, actually, ironically, I actually had... Uh, his spreadsheet um, open on my desktop <laughs> already because I was going through it the other day. Um, very cool stuff. Cool. Um, okay, we talked about the uh, the 2013 management packs for Link, uh, of course, for Exchange as well. Um, those have been updated. So if yeah, you're using, you don't know how they're updated, uh, do we? No, uh, <laughs> right. I was just looking no at the. Uh, yeah, there's like there's nothing there. So, uh, um, so but there is a new one there. out. Better and more stable. Yeah, better, stronger, and faster. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, a new KB article about the LS Storage Service Event uh, 32054 uh, showing up in your event logs after you enable mod- uh, mobility in Exchange 2010 environment. So if you're still using Exchange 2010, you really should call John and have him come fix that for you. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, if you are in Exchange 2010 environment and you light up uh, mobility, then you start seeing these uh, 32054 event log- events uh, in your uh, link server event log. Um, and uh, usually the cause is that you have uh, CU1 installed on the front end server with uh, – the UCWA component, and uh, the fix is really uh, install a new CU, and uh, which makes perfect sense. So um, you know, make sure you're fully updated, and those uh, event log entries should go away. Uh, next up, uh, Paul Valent comes back with uh, uh, some more information. We we talked about uh, Paul earlier with his uh, rate limiting uh, script, but uh, in this particular article, he gives us a SQL query. That uh, or actually uh, two SQL queries that uh, breaks down um, some information about uh, conferencing adoption within your environment. So um, it gives you a list of users uh, and how many conferences that they've uh, hosted, um, the average length of time, and uh, depending on which query you run, uh, the maximum number of attendees or the average number of attendees across all their conferences so it's it's actually kind of cool i'd like to put this into a script so you can run it from powershell but um, you just plug these right into uh, management studio and it spits out you know a great little list that you can sort and see who's really using your uh, your conferencing components and who's not so hats off to uh, to paul about that uh, next up, um, update to the 2013 mobile app. So um, I'm actually running a newer version, but uh, Stali, have you looked at the, the changes in 5.8? I looked at them, but I uh, didn't see much impact of them. So um, I guess it's uh, more secure and, and better. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like the monitoring report thing or the scam right? the, the monitoring pack yeah so. yeah because there were some nodes on the bug fixes like secure app settings and bug fixes so i i didn't see any major differences and i actually have been using the mobile app uh, lately so n- nothing major okay uh, yeah. yeah 
5.8. 5.8, huh? Yeah, the mobile app, Link 2013 mobile app, uh, 5.8. Uh, you get some secure app settings, bug fixes, things like that. Nothing I, nothing catastrophic that I've uh, seen as being fixed. So. Which platform? Um, for iOS, I believe. Okay. I don't have a link here. I just have a little yeah. uh, blurb about it. No, it was uh, Windows Phone. Oh, Windows Phone, okay. Yeah, because yeah, the, the version I'm on is not out. It's not even 5.8 <laughs> for iOS. <laughs> no, this is uh, Windows Phone. Yeah. Uh, Windows okay. Phone, okay. Okay, sorry. Right. I'm, I'm a recent convert over back to the iPhone, so. Oh, apologize. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got the 6 Plus. It's practically the size of a uh, movie theater screen, so. Uh, it's, a, it's actually smaller than uh, the 2020, the Nokia. Uh yeah yep oh, yeah it's smaller 15, than the uh, maybe it was yeah. yeah the fifteen twenty it's smaller than that fifteen twenty right yeah. right yeah Crazy. I actually had that until the glass broke the yeah my my uh, uh nine twenty or my uh what was the one that had the big camera on it the ten uh, the forty one megapixels that's the ten, 10 20. 20. yeah 10 that's 20, the yeah. one I had and that's the one I broke the screen on but I switched because there was just the, the hardware ecosystem just was not up to what I needed it to be, so I like gadgets. Um, okay, so uh, James Cousin, of course, you know, it wouldn't be a, uh, a UC Architects episode without a mention of one of his uh, scripts. Uh, we've talked about his database mirror manager tool, so if you're using um, SQL mirroring in your Link 2013 environment, James has a, uh, a little GUI script that allows you to see the current status of the mirroring, making sure which... Uh, which databases are on the primary versus the uh, secondary server uh, and giving you some checkboxes and buttons to, you know, fail them over, fail them back, whatever the case may be. Um, he does have a new version of the script out that uh, has come up, uh, <laughs> has come up with uh, some, uh, some added stability and a couple more features. So um, I, I love this script. I just deployed it at a customer's uh, uh uh, environment recently and showed them and it makes it makes life so much easier so um if you uh if you're using mirroring by all means check it out uh it's now a signed script um everything so kudos to james as always yeah definitely i use this quite a bit and actually i was using his uh ip route helper tool just a little the other day <laughs> oh yeah 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 i took a look at that that's kind of cool too yeah, it's really handy because you know again I was building some edge servers and I just wanted to make sure I had my routes set and uh, it's uh, invaluable for that. But uh, yeah, the, the, this mirror manager tool I use quite a bit too because you never you know, for whatever reason you go to do something and it's like you know and, and link bombs and you're, you're like say like you're bootstrapping a server or something and you're like what's the deal and you go in and sure enough all the d- databases are on the on the on the mirror you know yep. and for whatever reason it I'm like I didn't, why why are they on the mirror I have no idea. <laughs> Yeah, and you know, it, I didn't put them there. The, the good and the bad. The good is that you know, uh, Link is still up and running. It's not complaining. Everything, you know, all the users are happy. But uh, you, you didn't necessarily know that that stuff moved over. Um, and, and like you said, you know, if you want to go and, and install a CU, uh, those need to be on the primary server, or the the CU installer has a fit. And um, so, literally, with James Tools, you go in there. It shows you where the databases are are uh, currently being managed, and you click the little button, and it fails them all over to the to the primary, and and presto, you're back in business. So, all right, um, Stale. 
Call Monitor Pro for Skype for Business. This is very cool. I love this thing. So tell us about it. Yes. So this is actually part of the using Link, like a Link Pro segment. Uh, and part of the Link Pro segment is that uh, it is usually based on tools and scripts and uh, hacks that you do on your Windows computer, and you may have to do some PowerShell stuff, and you well, surely may need to have administrator rights to your computers. And uh, with Skype for Business, you get this call monitor. Uh, anyone of you guys used it? Yeah, I checked that call out. The, uh, oh, yeah, the I love it. Yeah, for Skype for Business. And, and the call monitor is, is all about uh, bubbling up the call, even though your client is not in focus. So Matt Landis uh, created this free tool that he calls Call Monitor Pro. And it works both with Link and the Skype for Business. And what it does, it has this uh, little window that is always on top on your computer where you can control your link call. Either place it on hold, uh, mute and unmute, and hang up. And that's the free version, and it helps you manage your call even though uh, you are not that active in the call. So sometimes you are in a link call, you are waiting for someone to show up, you start doing other things, and then they show up, and, and you need to dive, da dive down and, and find your link client and unmute yourself and then uh, start talking to them. Or you're in a call and uh, in the middle of a call and people are discussing things that you maybe are not that interested in and um, you start doing other things or searching for um, on web pages or in Outlook or whatever information that you want to talk about in that meeting. So the link active call window gets burrowed down behind all the other windows and the pro tip here is to use the link call monitor pro and uh, have that always on top window. So the features you get are um, you can hold the call, as I said, and uh, mute and unmute, and that is really nice. And um, it isn't the, such a big window either, so it, it shouldn't be that hard to use. And if you double-click on the window, you actually will bubble up the active call if there are content being shared that you want to see or you are you want to change your device and so on, you can just double-click the window and it will bubble up the active call. And if you have multiple calls, if you have uh, one call on hold and you get in a new call, you can easily switch between the calls as well. So it is really a good tool and it has a link uh, UI and a Skype for Business UI. So Matlan is took the call monitor that is going to uh, be available within Skype for Business and uh, place it uh, and, and build some more tools into this. And they also have an enterprise edition where you can opt in for more features like call parking and transfer calls. So if you need those features and you want them to be uh, on a always on top window, you can actually get those advanced features as well. So I'm actually using, uh, been using this tool since he released it. And for Link, you gotta get it. It's it's so I, it's exactly what I wanted because I was about writing a blog post where a best practice during a call you should place your active 
uh, call window in always on top mode. So you manually went in and placed the window always on top. But it's much better to have this smaller window here uh, telling you that you are muted or even hang up. Sometimes you spend five seconds or something to bubble up your window and, and hang up the call. So here it's quite available and um, you really should look into this. Yeah, it's yeah, great. Very cool. uh, it's really cool that he released a free version too. I thought that was a nice, a nice move. Yeah, the free yeah, version is uh, on the, the Technic Gallery. Yes. And uh, there two, there's two caveats, though. Uh, one thing, it, it won't show your active video as it, the, the Sky for Business call monitor does. Uh, and the other thing is that it's always there. So for Sky for Business, the call monitor window all, only shows up when you have an active call. But uh, this uh, call monitor pro is, will be there all the time, so you need to find a good place to have it around on your desktop. And, and you also should um, make it to auto start with your uh, computer when you log in. And um, yeah, so, but it, it, it's really a good tool. So I really recommend it. Yeah, the, the, um, you talked about the Enterprise Edition and a couple other things that are available when you get that Enterprise Edition is the ability to push out centralized settings uh, to all your users so that the layout is the same. Um, you do get definable shortcut keys in the free version, so you can assign different shortcut keys so you could do some of the different tasks, whether you're putting a call on hold or, or uh, hanging up or whatever the case may be. But um, <clears throat> this is this is a great little tool, and I uh, you know hats off to Matt and his team for for coming up with this. Um, it takes the the existing call monitor from the Skype for Business client and extends it out even further, and uh, on their roadmap for this is that they are going to build in the ability to do uh, extensibility. Uh, so if you want to add features to uh, Call Manager Pro, you'll be able to do that in the future uh, right into the, the solution. So. Yeah, and he also built in his previous tool that were uh, click to call or, or mark a number and press uh, F12 and, and call that number. Yeah. So that's in here as well. So mm -hmm. um, it's it's uh, two for one or three for one or <laughs> like this. <laughs> so yeah, you, need, you you really need to go just and get it the free version and uh, and maybe the enterprise version for some users as well because the call parking as well is looks really good. Yeah. So this is um, you know of course Matt and his team Atlantis Computer has uh, the Attendant Pro uh, console. Um, which uh, is a phenomenal solution for an attendant console. Of course, uh, Microsoft stopped development on their attendant console with Link 2010. There was no 2013 uh, attendant console from Microsoft. So Matt and his team stepped up and came out with a great solution that's uh, very flexible, even supports touch, um, you know, uh, CRM integration, all kinds of great stuff. And... Um, you know, this is kind of a step down from that, and it does give you the ability to do uh, basic call handling features. So if you have somebody that has, uh, you know, multiple calls coming in, um, you know, they can still handle these calls without having to go to the, the full attendant console. But it's not meant to be a replacement for that. So kudos to Matt. Yep. Yeah, good stuff. Okay, last up on the, uh, the, the link topic list, um, I have released a new version of the QoS calculator. Uh, version 1.2. So if you are trying to plan out your QoS rollout for Link, 
You can use uh, this Excel spreadsheet-based solution to figure out what policies you want to include, figure out your DSCP tagging, and uh, the spreadsheet will list all the policies that you need to create. And uh, new in version uh, 1.2 is it now spits out all the PowerShell. You can copy and paste it into a, a domain controller. It will create and configure the, um, the GPOs automatically. So it makes life a lot easier for you. So check it out and uh, let me know what you think. It's good stuff, yeah. I appreciate you doing it. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, uh, absolutely. It's uh, interesting stuff. There's uh, there's some more stuff coming around uh, Exchange UM policies that is uh, really twisting my brain. But uh, um, you know, with Exchange UM policies and some edge stuff, you have to define source IPs and destination IPs, and um, that's not real easy. Um, when you have multiple IPs to deal with in multiple data centers. So uh, uh, hopefully we'll be able to come up with a solution around that. Uh, sure. Next up, uh, book review. So uh, we we talked about this, I think, in episode 49, the uh, Link Server Cookbook. Um, I finally had a chance to finish reading this. Um, four guys, uh, Fabrizio Volpe, Alessio Giambini, uh Lasse Guido and Antonio Vargas all got together and came out with this really cool book, the Link Server Cookbook. Um, it's uh, 360 pages. This is a cool book. I got to say, I, I really enjoyed reading through this. Um, if you are getting into Link, um, you definitely need to read this. And it's available both uh, electronically and in print. Um, but they go through all kinds of different scenarios, some of them uh, kind of basic and how to use you know, PowerShell to, to accomplish different things. And some of them uh, far more advanced, such as uh, two-factor authentication and, um, and hybrid stuff. Uh, great stuff. I can't recommend this book uh, enough. I'm, I'm very yeah, glad. I love it. I, like we talked about it, I think, yeah. uh, last episode. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really gr- glad that I read this. There was, there was some interesting stuff that I picked up on this, and uh, it, it's well worth the... Uh, uh, the weekend to sit down and read this. So, you know, 392 or 360 pages. Um, it's an easy read. It's a, it's actually real easy to get through, and it makes a lot of sense. They don't, uh, you know, it's not too technical. It's not too light. It uh, It's kind of right in the middle, and uh, lots of great information on how to set up, um, you know, additional security, how the security model works within Link, um, things to consider when um, addressing these, these, t- uh, these uh, topics. So, uh, kudos to the guys that uh, were involved uh, uh, working on it, and uh, hope you can pick up a copy. And uh, events. So, of course, uh, Ignite. Uh, I think all three of us are going to Ignite, right? Uh, of course, John, you're, you're local there, so everybody's going to be at your house for the party. There and, you go. Uh, <laughs> Stolly, you'll be there because you're a speaker. Yep. And, uh, and hopefully I'll be there. So uh, May 4th through the 8th in Chicago. So looking forward to, uh, to seeing everybody there. Um, and if you're going to go there, the official UC Architects slash Event Zero uh, Ignite Party is uh, – you can now register for it. So we've got, we'll have a link on the summary page, but essentially it's eventzero.com slash ignite. So by all means, uh, please register for the event. You do need to be registered so we can make sure that we have uh, uh, enough room for everybody. Um, event Zero is going to be talking about um, – their dossier for Link 5.0, some really cool stuff coming out. Yeah, I'm pretty uh, jazzed. I haven't seen. I actually haven't seen anything about five, but I'm 
really excited. Well, you know, now that Ken Lasko is over there, you never know what might show up in our products. But <laughs> yeah, the hop, the hop is there. Yeah, the hop is there. So. <laughs> yes, he is. Um, uh, by all means, uh, yeah, go to eventzero.com slash ignite, sign up for the party. Uh, we'll be doing our big uh, gift giveaway uh, during the party there. So it is on uh, Monday, the 4th of May, starting at 9 o'clock. Um, so it's it's uh, timed to be right after the Microsoft Welcome Reception. So, you know, go over there and uh, get some free alcohol and, uh, and then come to our party and uh, get some more and uh, hang out with uh, the UC Architects and... Uh, and Ken Lasco and Dave and everybody from Event Zero. So we look forward to, to seeing you there. Yeah, it should be epic. I'm looking forward to it. Stale, Link Days. Link Day becomes Skype Days. Yes. Tell us, tell us about it. I loved being out there last year. So uh, tell us what's going on. What's different this year? Yeah, so last year we did uh, Norwegian Link Day. And uh, we had this uh, live recording and everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a really good success. And... Um, we want to do the, something this year as well because uh, we are apparently we are not a, an event machine, but uh, it's fun to to do this kind of community days anyway. So uh, this year we want to do two days, and we want to do a uh, a Skype for Business event that uh, is uh, everything is based in English, uh, so it should be more accessible for foreign people to to Norway. So we so we dropped the Norwegian part. Uh, and Does that mean do that the keynotes and everything will be in English too? Yes. Okay. So the keynotes will be in English, and all the sessions, even the business decision maker sessions, will be in English. Okay. And, and we try to to do the same concept as last year. Uh, so we want to have this business decision maker track and and talk more about return of investment and how to measure and tips and tricks. And then we want to have this technical track where we want to deep dive into the core components and do. Maybe some of the Ignite sessions as well uh, as uh, notes from the field uh, and so on. But we're only going to do two tracks this year. So if you are a technical person, you can um, join uh, the entire track uh, over two days and get uh, 16 sessions out of that. Uh, Or if you're a business decision-maker guy, you, you want to join this one track that's over two days. And also we are combining this with Windows 10 Summit uh, with uh, Johan Arvimark, which is a featured speaker uh, at Ignite. Uh, and he, with, together with Ola Twet, and uh, uh, they are going to do a two-day um, event for Windows 10. And uh, we are going to do two tracks of Office 365 stuff as well. One track is, is Lab, so it will have uh, limited space. And the other track is uh, Office 365 Sessions. So we want to do Skype for Business as the core event and then have spin-off events like uh, Windows 10 Summit and uh, Office 365 Bootcamp uh, that is happening in the same event, the same expo area, and the same keynote, and so on. So it's actually going to be a really fun uh, event. I'm really looking forward to it. And it's it's the 8th and 9th of um, September, uh, and it's... Uh, happening at uh, near the Oslo airport, so it uh, shouldn't be far for those that need to travel in, and, and a lot of people do it even in Norway, so, yeah. Yeah. Cool. I, I, it was well worth it. I, I was really glad I got a chance to be involved last year, and, and as you mentioned, we did a, uh, a live recording there. Steve uh, Goodman was there with us, and uh, um, a lot of fun, a lot of great people to uh, meet, some great uh, session content as well, so, and uh, I finally got to be on the other side of the world. Yeah. How was that? 
That was great. I loved it. I had an absolute blast. It's great. I recommend anybody that gets a chance to go, uh, definitely go. Yeah, yeah. And it, you even uh, we even found each other near the train station. Yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I uh, that was interesting. Yeah. I, I managed to survive in a in a foreign land. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, okay. So, uh, looking forward to that. So, uh, next up uh, for events, the UC Birmingham User Group. Uh, they are having a meeting on May thirteenth. So, UC uh, Bug. .co.uk. We'll have a link on the summary page. And uh, UC Day on the 29th of September with um, our own Andrew uh, and Steve, as well as uh, Jason Wynn, uh, Ian Smith from Modality, Adam Ghent, and, uh, and Tom Arbuthnot from Modality uh, uh, will be there too. So September 28th, so check that out. And that does it for this particular episode. Uh, thanks to uh, John and Stolly for hanging out with me on this uh, Sunday. Thanks to uh, Andrew, who gets the uh, the unenviable task of editing uh, all my uh, my shenanigans. Um, this episode is sponsored by Event Zero. The Dossier Link product family is an integrated suite of functionality designed specifically to enable organization-wide analytics for Microsoft Link environments. Create actionable intelligence for the organization about the Link environment and its utilization. Check them out at eventzero.com. And finally, before we go, we want to remind you that the UC Architects are online. Visit our website today at theucarchitects.com. Follow us on Twitter at theucarchitects. Be a friend and like us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash theucarchitects or in our LinkedIn group. Uh, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast already, you'll find us in the, Zoom, the iTunes store, the Zoom Marketplace. Uh, our Windows Phone uh, 8.1 podcast app or subscribe to the podcast using your RSS feeder in your favorite podcast downloader. See our website for links on everything about the show today. We'll see you back in the next episode with Steve Hosting. Mm-hmm.